The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Okay, let's go to our weekly last word in the environment with John Gibbons. Uh, okay, John, tell us about this Oxfam climate report earlier in the day, which is starting to attribute blame when it comes to carbon emissions. Yeah, good evening, Matt. Yeah, I guess the headline figure on a global level, it really is quite quite something. The, the calculation done by Oxfam is that the richest 1% of the world's population are contributing more emissions than the poorest two-thirds. So this is 1% contributing more than 66% of the world's poorest. So it shows you really, because you often hear about, well, it's about overpopulation, it's about this, that and the other. But what this Oxfam report really nails down very firmly that in the 2020s, the thing that is driving the climate crisis more than any other factor is overconsumption among the world's rich and particularly among not just the 1%, but the 0.01%. These are the rich the richest of the rich. These are people, individuals, who's, for example, billionaires, who's uh, both their personal activities and also their investments, Matt. An individual billionaire could be responsible, say, for 20 million tonnes of CO2, like maybe a third of Ireland's entire emissions attributable to a single individual but through their investments. Not, would that not suggest, then, that they should be the target of climate action rather than the ordinary individuals who are listening to this programme, who may be struggling to make ends meet or who have little available spare money to use, that instead of actually requiring them to pay for climate damage, that it should be the uber wealthy who do so. You're absolutely right. However, the the uber wealthy have taken the precaution of making sure that their grip on politics, policy and the media is rock hard. So they're the people pushing, for example, particularly through the right-wing press in Britain, in Australia, in the US and elsewhere, the idea, for example, that climate change isn't isn't real, demonising of protesters and so on. So these people basically have, it isn't just that they're contributing, over-contributing in carbon, it's the incredible political and media leverage that they exercise globally. And of course, these are also the folks who are the chief beneficiaries, Matt, of over-consumption. They're driving the engine. Now, that engine works super well for them, but unfortunately, that engine is destroying the natural world and it's also pushing hundreds of millions of people deeper into poverty. Okay, and then what about COP28 starting this day week? There's been a report by the International Energy Agency in advance of that suggesting that fossil fuel companies are investing twice as much in continuing oil and gas production and searching for it as they should be if the world hopes to limit rising global temperatures to avert the climate catastrophe. Yeah, a couple of the stats here are really are quite something. For example, we discovered that of the of the total spend in invest capital investment by the world's fossil fuel companies, and remember, these are the richest companies in the world, uh, they're spending currently about 2.5% of their capital investment annually is going into renewable and clean energy. 97.5% Matt is going into business as usual, digging, exploring, and of course, buying Politics, because again, that's part of the investment and the, the, if you like, the objective plan of the fossil fuel industry is to capture politics to ensure that they continue to have the political and social license to pump on regardless. Okay, but one of the things that, for example, you say, I mean, there is significant investment being made in things like sustainable aviation fuel. And we have another guest who we're going to get to in a second. But are you convinced by the potential to mitigate the damage caused? 
uh, by aviation with the use of sustainable aviation fuel? No, it's, a, it's not an entirely convincing argument. Let me put it in the words of IATA. This is the International uh, Travel Association. Their chief economist, uh, Mary Owens Thompson, she was asked the question about sustainable aviation fuel and she said, basically, it doesn't exist. If you take all the what's described as sustainable aviation fuel, Matt, in the world today and put it into aircraft, it would provide... 0.1% of the fuel required. So let's say the industry is talking about scaling this up a hundredfold by 2030, which is pretty fantastical. If they did, they would manage to get to 10% of the carbon impact of aviation. The thing that will mitigate carbon emissions from aviation is less aviation. What we're doing here instead is we're circling the drain and this is an industry coming up with uh, ways of describing their plans to be virtuous in the future. There is no evidence to support sustainable aviation uh, fuels as giving us any pathway to the greening of aviation. We're also joined by Colin Markey, the Fine Gael MEP, because Colin, you're hosting uh, an event tomorrow looking at the potential for sustainable aviation fuel. I believe you've got Michael O'Leary of Reiner as one of those involved. What's your position on the potential of sustainable aviation fuel, given that John has just said he doesn't see any potential use for it? Well, I think we have to find a solution for the sustainable aviation fuel situation. Like the reality is what John says is true. In fact, I would have to figure lower. I would say we're, we're at 0.05%, which is, if you like, it's, it's, it's one twentieth of 1%. And if you think that the ambition, as stated by the European Parliament or European Commission, is that we get to 5% by 2030, I think it's 34% by 2014, 70% by 2050. So there's a need to drastically upscale this. I don't disagree with John that there currently is no solution. The current solution, essentially, that small percentage is, is essentially used cooking oil. That's what's currently been used. So that that is quite simply not a scalable solution. Now, there's two there's two kind of forms of thought on this. One is that you can create what's called e-fuels by using off something like offshore wind, let's say electricity and converting it into a fuel that'll be a drop-in fuel to air, airplanes. And the other is by using a, a, a kind of an organic-based fuel. The reality is we're very, very far away from having any scale of them. And I won't for one second suggest that that there, there's some kind of uh, magic going to happen overnight about this. But, but Sir, because is, Colin does a couple of things in this. One is the price of this sustainable aviation fuel is about three times the price of the kerosene that's used at present. So the airlines don't want to go for that. And the second thing is you have to grow stuff that could be better used. And even despite all the land you would use for the growing of the material, that, that, that is counterproductive for the outcome that you would achieve. The reality is that we have very limited solutions at the moment. The offshore wind potential of this country is enormous, really. And the, the possibility of converting that into electricity, and you wouldn't be able to use that electricity, when the, the scale of it, you wouldn't be able to use it within the grid. So we need to find an alternative use for it. And that's where the likes of e-fuels would come into play, or the likes of, as you say, a biomass-based one. I agree with you. The scale of what we're talking about is enormous. But what we have here in this country, and that's one thing we need to step back from, we have in, in Michael O'Leary and Willie Walsh, for instance, we have the top airline executives in Europe. We have the top aircraft leasing companies in the world. We have a significant aircraft maintenance business and we have all this renewable energy potential. So we're best placed of anybody to find a solution. And from my perspective, I'm not here for one second to in any way vindicate the actions of the industry at all. I want to challenge the industry to come up with the solutions because we can say you stop flying, but 
being realistic. Are we going to park all the planes? Are we going to just de-escalate? Are we going to reduce? Like, even if we have the amount of flying, we still need a sustainable fuel to put into the planes. And the way I look at it is, somebody's going to find a solution. We have a lot of the key players in the industry in this country. So can we not put the heads together? We have the source of renewable energy. Can we not put the heads together to find a solution? Like, if you take okay. John's premise... We, we basically uh, reverse back to where we were in the 1960s or 50s and people don't fly. I don't see that as a solution. I think we have to look well, at... Let me put that, John. Be, be, Do you be, want to go back... Through or electric planes or whatever the scenarios are in the future. I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow, but I say if we don't start the conversation, if we don't challenge those in the industry that they have... Okay, to, I want to go back to John on that. Do you want to bring us back to the 1950s and 1960s where people don't get the opportunity to fly unless they're very rich? I guess the big change, Matt, in, in, in the global conditions since the 1950s and the 1960s is this thing called the climate emergency. And Colin will be well aware of this, right? That means that everything we do, say our, our predecessors 50, 60 years ago, they genuinely didn't have to take this into account, right? It, it just was a, it was a small issue. It's now a vast issue. And the, and the, the issue here is that aviation globally is over contributing and it's also expanding rapidly. And, and, even let's say that, that some of the things that Colm is hoping may happen, and I do appreciate, by the way, his acknowledging that this really is in, in the realm of hope. But let's say some of those things that he's hoping happen kick in. The problem is the expansionist model that the industry is adopting and pushing and using its political levers to push, like we're seeing the expansion in Dublin Airport. What that means is, let's say we achieve a 10% reduction with all these fuels. What will happen is that will be overwhelmed by a 10, 20, 30% expansion in aviation. So we have this issue where unless you put a cap on the total emissions from every sector, whether it's aviation, transport, agriculture, what happens is every time you get a so-called efficiency, what happens? It simply is used to reinvest. In column, that is the point, isn't it? Because if you look at what they call a seat per kilometre basis, aviation emissions have been cut in half since 1990. But the problem is, is because so many oh, more people right. are flying that the absolute carbon emissions have gone up. And the projections from IATA, the World Aviation Body, is that the numbers of people flying each year are going to go between 4 billion now and 8 billion over the next couple of decades. So that would suggest no matter what efforts you make in sustainable aviation fuel, there's going to be more emissions. Well, the reality is if that, that, that is a concern. And one of the things as regards European policy is the like of ETS, which you're looking to tax all that, that aviation fuel. For me, that's not necessarily going to have the impact because in reality, supposing your solution is tax, which may be a solution, ultimately, that'll just be 10 euros more on the flight and people will continue to fly. Unless we get a solution to what you put into the plane, you'll, you, this situation is going to continue. Okay. Even if you cap, even if you cap the, the amount of flights at, as, at what they are currently, Every, every ton of carbon you put into the atmosphere doesn't come back out. And that's the reality. So it's saying that, that, that you know, you, you, you curb the amount of flying. That still won't solve the problem. Okay, Colin, I, Colin, I have to finish with you there. Colin Markey, Finnegale MEP, thank you very much for joining us. Very briefly, John Gibbons, maybe an idea, would it be, you know, that people coming in on private jets, that that would be just banned outright, stopped, even though it's a big revenue earner for Dublin Airport. If we're worried about the 1% from the Oxfam report, tell them they can take their super private jets elsewhere. I think that'd be an excellent place to start. And, and private jets, again, the contribution, if you like, as for individuals using private jets, it's, it's absolutely staggering. There are two situations where private jets are justifiable. One is for government, uh, where they need that flexibility, and the other is for medical emergencies. That's it. Ordinary people, regular folks, 
do not need to be flying around in private jets. Thank you very much, John Gibbons. We had Colin Markey, the Finnegal MEP with us. John will be back with us. And we trending tomorrow to talk about non-environmental issues. We'll be back with with the 6 of 6 after this. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.